Jesse had commanded him. He came in into an encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line. Jesse and Lord cried. Israel and the Philistines stood up for battle on the Jesse's side. David left him in charge of the people of the battle, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the children, the Philistines of Gath, wise by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke of sin words as before, and they did her. The word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, ladies. That was beautifully done. Would you pray with me? Creator God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Though my words may be imperfect, may they be used for your work. Amen. I have to share with you, I think, uh, I think Sandy might be spoiling me today. I, I, I have reasons, so hear me out. The first, donuts. Does she know me or does she know me? Donuts. Love donuts. <laughs> Second, she's played all my favorite hymns today. I know you probably didn't know that, but all of my favorite hymns have been on display this morning. And third, maybe the piece de resistance, she gave me the story of David and Goliath to preach from. I mean, really, how is that not one of our favorite stories of all time every time? David and Goliath is so fun to preach. It's one of those stories that first pulled us into the story of God as children. I mean, who doesn't love the story of a little guy defeating a big bully? I mean, if you claim the title of Christian, you've got a thing for the underdog. It's in the DNA. So this is a great story. As an adult, I love reading through our scriptures because I feel like I read the dialogue with a new appreciation. I think when we are young, we see the Bible as this almighty, impenetrable story. But as we get older and we learn and grow in faith and understanding, we start to see within these holy and divine texts the stories of human beings. For example, for all of the praise that we heap at the feet of David, when we read the dialogue today, of his 15-year-old self, he sounds, he sounds like a kid with an attitude. Let's just be fair. He sounds like a 15-year-old with an attitude. Now, I know that's some pretty controversial, controversial stuff. I mean, this is the future king of all Israel, anointed and beloved by God, but hear me out. I think you will see it my way if you continue to listen to our scripture. So, I'll lay out the examples I have. When David is supposed to be bringing food to his brothers from home, he overhears Goliath's uh, bargain. That's the scripture we read today. He hears the bargain that Goliath has been offering every day for a while. The bargain is essentially, you send me a guy, we go man to man, whoever loses gets enslaved. It leaves the bloodshed behind and lets it just get over with in one go. I mean, from one perspective, Goliath's offer might even be considered kind. You are, in theory, saving lives from a war of attrition. They might be enslaved, but at least they're alive, right? Well, 
For the people of Israel, no. Not for the people of Israel. Even at those stakes, Israel was a nation familiar with the injustice and agony of slavery. A core memory for the people of Israel was their enslavement in Egypt. They have learned its lessons, a lesson that our country is still learning. So Saul and his army's response to Goliath's offer is terror, because both death and enslavement ring with the same dread. Which is why David's response stands out, because what does David do? What is David's response? Well, David starts talking smack about Goliath loud enough to be overheard. And I say talking smack specifically because that's what it was. He was talking smack. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Steve, you're going to be my Goliath for a minute as I translate. David essentially says, who's this chump? Over and over again. When his brother overhears him and calls him out, he calls him what I can only give you a modern equivalent of as an ambulance chaser. That's essentially what David's brother calls him and tells him to get lost. David's response is, and I quote, what have I done now? It was only a question. Literally, it was only a question. Mm. And he continues, he continues to talk smack until Saul, King Saul, finally overhears him and tells him to calm down, he's too small. David insists that he should be the guy to take down that mammoth of a man next door, saying, I've tackled lions and bears. Clearly God likes me, you should just let me at him. Seriously, he's like, clearly God loves me, you should let me fight him. In short, he's a little guy with a big mouth. He's got an attitude. If this were one of my kids and they were trying to talk to people like that, we would be sitting down and having a conversation about good manners. And hey, parents, if you get nothing else from this sermon, hear that God has a plan for kids who have a lot to say. God has a plan. But after Sandy's sermon last week, I really think I have a better understanding of why he was such a punk. See, David's responses defied the expectations of those around him. To the people of Israel's army, to his brother, even to King Saul, David was not the man for this battle. He was a kid with a big mouth, and nothing on the outside to prove any power of any kind. When Saul and the Israelites had heard Goliath's offer over and over again, they were scared. To quote the message, they were terrified and lost all hope. When David heard the same words that everyone else heard, he got fired up, and he couldn't shut up about it. He was effervescent, overflowing with energy. I can almost see this riled up 15-year-old kid running around the camp, itching to go out and do something. When was the last time you were that riled up to go do something? When 
was the last time you listened to the desires that have pulled on your heart? Now, I know desire is not something we usually talk about in churches, but after Sandy's sermon last week on accepting and responding to our call, I couldn't stop thinking about recognizing that call. Now, we as human beings, and especially as Methodists, love to overcomplicate. And we love to overcomplicate things that I think were designed to be much more simple. I love the way that Father James Martin, a Jesuit teacher, describes our calling or our vocation. He says, the most fundamental vocation is to become the person whom God created. And it's both the person you already are and the person that God calls you to be. And I think we find that out through our desires, what moves us, what touches us, what are we drawn to? Father Martin asks us time and time again to pay attention. Pay attention to what's pulling on your heart. See, you, the you that is sitting in this room or sitting on our live stream, you were created with purpose and intention. But even more than being created with purpose, your life has offered you experience. It has offered you time to hone skills that you never would have thought you could have. I know that this attitude of hope seems to be an exercise for the young, but it is not an exercise only for the naive. It is an exercise for those of us who have made it to the other side, the other side of careers, the other side of relationships. This is for those of us who have lived whole different lives only to realize that we are being asked once again to pursue a new dream. Living your life in response to your call never stagnates. It is only recreated again and again. Pay attention. Your call won't be the same from one day to the next. Now, maybe when you look at your set of skills in your life, you see a clear path and a way forward. And maybe you don't. I doubt that when David was dematting sheep, he was considering how his shepherding prowess would help him defeat a giant one day, but it did. When his desires moved him, he paid attention. Maybe, maybe those skills that you're sitting on help you see the world differently. Or maybe you were created to approach problems from new perspectives. Maybe you are the person made for this challenge or this relationship or this role. Pay attention. You can find your calling anywhere. In my experience and understanding of God, it seems to be the way that God works in the world. The thing that the world doesn't understand about you, yeah, that's the thing that God is going to call your greatest gift. When the Israelites heard nothing but fear and trepidation, David saw an opportunity. What do you see that other people don't? What do you hear that other people can't hear? What does your heart want you to do? Pay attention.
And I make that sound so easy, don't I? Pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> we know that that isn't the case. We know that listening to those desires only, not only takes inner work and a lot of it, but then we have to deal with the external opinions of others. The way that we answer our calling may be jarring from the outside. We may have people tell us to sit down, tell us we're being too loud or too quiet or too out there, too much or too little, compared to what they were expecting. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not telling you to go out and cop an attitude with anyone who questions you like David did. I am requesting we learn from his less than perfect example. But your calling may be startling. Pay attention. Do it anyways. This is my prayer for you this week, that you pay attention. Pay attention to your heart, what you desire, what makes you stand out. Pay attention. There are giants out there, and they are waiting for you. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.